0: I'm going to be speaking about the Last Supper, and it's connected to the message that was shared last week. We're journeying through the book of Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 14, and you remember last week we read and looked at three stories, when in fact there are four, but we looked at three last week, which are interwoven, as, as Mark has chosen to record and order these stories, not in chronological order, but using the theme of love and hate. Anybody remember that from last week? Yeah? So just to do a quick recap. The chapter begins, this is Mark 14, verses 1 and 2, looking at the hatred of the priests towards Jesus. And then this was followed by a story of love toward Jesus that came to him from Mary of Bethany. And John's Gospel tells us that this took place six days before the Passover. And then we ended last week, I suppose on a bit of a negative, in verses 10 and 11, when we looked at the story of Judas, his mountain hatred and enmity against Jesus, and how he plotted in secret to betray him. So we are now at verse 12 of chapter 14. And again, Mark's theme is going to swing from one of hate back to one of love in this closing portion of this section of Mark's gospel. So I'm going to read from Mark 14, verse 12 through to 16. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a large jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the householder, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where am I to eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Father, I ask for your blessing as I endeavor to just expound what you've placed in my heart. May it serve its purpose in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to remind you that the account that we are reading is written of the final week of the life of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Whilst he was alive on earth, we are reading the events leading up to his arrest, leading up to his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and ascension. And I believe it's apt because today is the first of March, and we are approaching Holy Week. We are approaching the time when we place particular emphasis and focus on the death and burial and resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. So we, we, we read in this passage here that Jesus is preparing to have his last and final meal before he is arrested and tried and then sentenced to death. And it seems as if Jesus beforehand has made preparation for this meal, and had a place appointed where he would meet with his disciples to share this meal. And he gives them instructions to go into the city, Jerusalem, and identify a man carrying a picture of water, a jar of water. Now, this would have been an unusual sight, because... In that time, men didn't carry jars of water. Women carried jars of water. It was more normal to see a man carrying a skin of water but not a jar. So this was a sight that Jesus was saying to his disciples, when you go into the city, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher or a jar of water, which is a bit of an unusual sight and I want you to follow that man to whatever house he goes into. So we don't know if the man owned that house or whether that man was the servant of the owner of the house. But surely they went and they saw this man carrying the jar of of water. And I believe that Jesus pre-planned this venue and this Last Supper for A particular reason, because he wanted to institute a new covenant. And he was aware that the plot for him to be arrested and killed was afoot. And I also believe that he wouldn't have wanted to be arrested before sharing this last meal with his disciples and also instituting this new covenant. Lest Judas intervene and arrange for his arrest. So he made this arrangement beforehand, I believe, and they found it as he had said, and they entered into that place. And reading from verse fourteen, he says, And when it was evening he came with the twelve, and as they were at table eating. Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12 who is dipping bread in the same dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Amen. Some solemn words in that portion of Scripture. Notice that they, in this time sat down to have the Passover meal. However, when the Passover was instituted, just before the children of Israel were about to be delivered out of bondage in Egypt, if you read that account in Exodus chapter 12 verse 11, you will see that they were told to eat the Passover standing up. In other words, being ready to leave out of that land. But because they were now in the promised land that God had given to them, they had changed that practice to where they would either lay down or sit down to eat the Passover meal together. Jesus, along his journey, as we have journeyed through Mark's gospel, seems to reveal more and more of his betrayal, of the manner in which he would be arrested, And killed. And here he discloses some further information, which, as far as we know, he had not disclosed to the disciples before this. And Jesus states that one of his inner circle, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And note the response of the disciples. To their credit, they all went into soul-searching mode. They could have easily said, I know who it is. But the Scripture said that they began to ask, Lord, is it I? There are times when we need to ask, Lord, is it I? It's so much easier, isn't it, to point the finger. At others and justify our wrong thinking, our wrong action, our wrong planning. But you know that we cannot even trust ourselves. The scripture says that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. The scripture tells us not to put our trust in man, that includes ourselves. So, to the credit of the disciples here, instead of pointing the finger at each other, and you know, I suspect it, 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 it's so and so, they asked the question, Lord, is it I? And Jesus answered and reassured them, It is one who is dipping his hand in the dish with me. In other words, it's somebody in this space. Notice that Jesus didn't call his name, didn't identify the person, and perhaps many of them were dipping with him in the dish. But he it clarifies and says, it's one who's in this room with me dip, dipping in the dish. I want us to note that this betrayal by Judas was foretold in the scripture. And if we look at Psalm 41, verse 9, the psalmist there writes, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Of course, Jesus would have been familiar with this passage, and perhaps the, the disciples. That this was prophesied, this was predicted that this would come to pass. And here it is being fulfilled in this scene as they share this last meal together. And then Jesus speaks some very solemn words. He says, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Notice here, although it was predicted hundreds of years before, That Jesus would be betrayed in this way. Someone who was eating with him, dipping with him in the same dish, would betray him. That Judas chose to betray Jesus. It wasn't the case of, well, I can't help it. Because the scripture said someone had to betray him. He still made a choice. He made a choice and he betrayed Jesus. And then Jesus said these very solemn words. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. How solemn and how fearful are those words. Would want to make your heart tremble. But I noticed that shortly after this, that Jesus, according to John's Gospel, privately says to Judas, what you are about to do, go and do it quickly. And then Judas, according to the Scripture, left the company of the disciples before Jesus instituted the new covenant. Now, I've read these passages many times, but this really jumped out at me. That before Jesus institutes this new covenant, the betrayer, Judas, left. He wasn't there to witness it. And therefore did not receive the promise that he would eat it and drink anew in the coming kingdom. And then we look at Mark 14:22 to 26. And it says, As they were eating, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Amen. It's important to note here that here Jesus establishes the truth of a new covenant whilst in the midst of eating this Passover meal. And he reinterprets the, the symbols that they, they're using in this meal. In that time, when they had the Passover meal, perhaps the head of the household would take the bread and would say this, this is a bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. So everything that they ate at the Passover meal had some significance and was symbolic. The bitter herbs recall the bitterness of slavery. The salt water remembered the tears shed on the Egypt's oppression. The main course of the meal, a lamb freshly sacrificed for that particular household, did not symbolize anything connected to the agonies of Egypt. It was the sin-bearing sacrifice that allowed the judgment of God to pass over the households that believed. So the unleavened bread that they would eat symbolized the severing of the Israelites from the old life in Egypt. It also represented separation from worldliness, from sin, from false religion and the beginning of a new life of holiness and godliness. But Jesus reinterprets this. And this bread has new meaning in this meal. From then on, the Lord's Supper, the bread would symbolize Christ's body, which he sacrificed for the salvation of men. And he says, take, eat, this is my body. This is the blood of the new covenant. The bread represents his body, which was to be broken. Broken. And the blood, the new covenant, the shedding of blood in a sacrifice was always required by God. Whenever God was going to establish a covenant, he would always require the shedding of blood. And we know that in the Old Testament, or under the Old Covenant, that would involve slaying turtle doves and and various animals. But here... In the institution of this new covenant, it's the blood of Christ that will be shed. It was Christ's blood that will be offered up for the remission of sins. And it says that this will be for many, for the benefit of many, for all who would believe, whether Jews or whether Gentiles. Verse 25 says, Truly I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of this vine. And I believe this was the last, probably the last drink that Jesus had, the last meal he had before he was crucified. And I believe that this scripture implies that we, and that's why we have Holy Communion. We practice the last supper here or we commemorate it in this church. Most Christian churches would do the same to remember this new covenant that was inaugurated, to remember the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ and that his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. Then the scripture said they sung a hymn, Jesus singing. The scripture says that he sings over us. They sung a hymn. Probably from the Psalms. From Psalms 113 through to 118. One of the quotations in those Psalms would be, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. They were singing about their master, their Lord, Jesus, who was present with them. And the scripture tells us that they left from that upper room and they crossed the Kidron Valley to the base of the Mount of Olives. And from here, we know that Jesus goes on to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is directly opposite to the Eastern or the Golden Gate of Jerusalem that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I just want to link this with the the other story of love, the outpouring of Mary of Bethany. Because I think that in Mark putting these passages together, we we see here that when Mary came and she brought that precious ointment and broke that box of ointments. Remember we looked at it, I think it was last week, and we worked out in today's... Currency that was probably worth about nineteen thousand and some pounds, very costly broke it and poured out the entire contents on jesus feet and on his head and If you link these two stories together, what Jesus is is saying here or what the scripture is revealing to us is that that alabaster box in some Regards represents the body of Jesus Christ, which was to be broken. And that precious ointment that it was all poured out represents His precious blood that was poured out on Calvary for us. And as Mary of Bethany did not spare in the expression of her love towards her master, towards Jesus Christ the Messiah. So Jesus, in giving his body and allowing his blood to be poured out, does not spare any love towards us. He loves us with an infinite, with an enduring, with an unconditional love that he would come and suffer this is extravagant, wonderful, awesome love beyond what any of us could ever imagine or think. And we give God thanks, don't we? That we can have this awesome privilege today to be called the children of God because Jesus came and instituted a new covenant, a covenant not, we're not under the law but on the grace. We cannot earn our place in God's kingdom, but we receive it by faith, by grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. There are many lessons that we can draw out of this passage of Scripture. One of the things I just want to bring to bear on our hearts, you know, this whole episode with Judas is is really... It's quite scary and quite frightening, as I said last week, that someone as close to Jesus, you could say Judas was a member of the church. In fact, he was more than that. He was part of the CPC. If you want to put it in today's language, he wasn't just a member. He was a part of the leadership team, so he would have been welcoming the new members in this afternoon. Perish the thought that any of us of leaders would do something as dreadful as what Jesus did. But you know, when Jesus revealed and said, one of you is going to betray me, I believe in that moment, Jesus was given Jesus an opportunity to change his mind. And this is what comes to my heart as I close this message. And it's not meant to condemn anybody, but if it brings conviction to you, maybe it will save you from a lot of trouble. And I don't say this lightly, but perhaps, as I say this under God, there's someone in here who has something in their heart that you have purposed to do. And your conscience is telling you that you ought not to do it. You may have plotted, you may have been scheming, you may have been waiting. When I get that moment, I'm going to do it. And I say this. I'm asking you to reconsider. This is a a, a moment, and I know I'm speaking to somebody right now. I know when God has dropped something in my heart. I know I'm speaking to somebody right now. I'm asking you to reconsider. This is an opportunity for you to change your mind, to turn around from that which, maybe you feel like you want to take revenge. Maybe you feel like the underdog and you want to take action. You may feel justified in doing that. But let me tell you, the end of that action is going to bring disaster. So in this moment, I'm asking you, search your heart. Like the disciples, Lord, is it I? Change your mind. Turn away from that. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Trust Him. Place your anger. Place that disappointment. that feeling of being let down and betrayed, place that in the hand of the Lord this afternoon as we close this service. And if you're willing, if you will obey this word and this instruction from from the Lord, you watch and see how God will work things out for you. In His time, He will make all things beautiful. We're going to move to a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask us all as we pray to say, Lord, is it I? Is it I, Lord? We don't want to be so close. But so far. So close. Journeying together with the Master. But yet end up in disaster. What a tragedy that would be Amen Amen. let's stand together whilst we're thinking about that if there's someone here who is not a Christian you've been in this service you've witnessed those who have given their lives to the Lord become a part of this church officially I'm not asking you to do that. The first step is to really receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. It doesn't matter how, how many good deeds you have done, how you have loved, how you have given. None of this is able to save us. We are saved by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, and his finished work on the cross. It's just as simple as that. And if you're here today and you want to become a part of God's family, you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior before we pray as a body of people I want to invite you perhaps to just raise your hand where you are or come forward if you'd be so brave because I would welcome an opportunity to pray with you or someone from the altar ministry team will pray with you and just help you in making that decision it's not good enough just to come to church to pay our dues in that way. We have to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Your parents' faith can't save you. Your family heritage can't save you. Your money and your wealth, your position in society cannot save you. No matter how popular you are, There's going to come a day when we're going to stand one by one to give an account before God. What will you say to God on that day? Because you've heard this message, you've heard this appeal. I wonder if there's one person here that would make that commitment today. Secure your life for time and eternity by placing your trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. You have nothing to fear. Whatever you consider that you might have to give up, Jesus gave up everything for you. His body was broken like that alabaster box. The blood in His veins was poured out for you. For you. That you might be saved because today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. I know that the Spirit of God is tugging at hearts in here. Don't resist the call to just give yourself wholeheartedly to God today. Don't walk out of this building without making that firm commitment. You have an opportunity to repent today, to turn from your ways and to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. If you think I'm belaboring the point and you want me to move on, I'm staying here as God tells me to stay here. Because I want you to feel the weight of conviction on your soul. So I'm not rushing through this point today because I know God is calling someone to a commitment today. Today. I know that. My heart is convicted of that. I'm going to make one more appeal. Would you just move out from your seat and come forward? If you're unsure, still come forward. We'll pray with you. You may not make up your mind this afternoon, but take that next step forward. Just come one step closer. Amen. Amen. We'll wait for a moment. God, by your Spirit, draw those who are ready to be saved today. Pray that every excuse will be broken. That by your blood, those who are ready to be saved today will be loosed from their sins. In the name of Jesus. Lord, they will not find any peace until they know that they have done what you have called them to do. To receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour so often Lord we think that when we leave this building that we escape from that conviction but I pray in Jesus name that your love and the conviction of the Holy Spirit will follow those this week who you have appointed to be saved in this season in the name of Jesus Victim of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Let them know that today is a day of salvation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do your work, God. Do your work. We're all going to pray. We're all going to pray. We're going to say, Lord, is it I? The scripture says, Who can understand these errors? Who can understand what evil sometimes is lurking in our hearts? Sometimes we don't fully grasp some of the things that are going on in our hearts and minds. The psalmist goes on to say, cleanse thou me from secret faults. I want us to pray that. That God would cleanse us today. Amen. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you that your word is a light. Your word is truth. Thank you for shining your word on our hearts today. As solemn as this word may seem, I know that it's good for us. Lord, we cry out to you, is it I, Lord, Lord, is there any evil in my heart? Is there any way with this lurking around in the corridors of my mind and my heart, O oh God? I joined with the psalmist and I said, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me with the washing of water by your word, which we have read and we have heard today. Cleanse us from our secret faults, O oh God. You are giving us this opportunity to repent. And I know that the word that you've uh, sent in my heart for someone in here, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you will empower them to let go of the past, let go of the hurt, let go of the pain. To Just to tear up that plan. Lord of Revenge. In the name of Jesus. Lord we take advantage of this moment. Because we want our end to be good. We just come before you with all these hearts oh God. and We thank you. For your broken body. For your blood that was poured out. You were reviled, you were persecuted, you were forsaken. Yet you kept your mouth closed and you suffered for us, O God. We praise you that your God the Father raised you up in power by the Spirit of holiness and now you are glorified. And so help us to follow your example in our living and in our deeds that we allow you to raise us up in the moment that you choose to do, oh God. We give you praise. We thank you. We bless you. We turn our hearts to you, mighty God. In the name of Jesus. Can we bless God together? Just give him thanks. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for your cleansing.